Georgia's DBHDD is warning all Georgians that half of all opioid deaths happen at home when people take an oxy or a perk with a glass of alcohol for stress or to sleep. Learn more about protecting families from opioid overdoses at opioidresponse.info. Thank you all for uh, being here for today's Political Rewind. Uh, I'm Bill Nygut. Got a lot to talk about today with a very special guest who we'll get to in just a moment. But first, let me say hello to my Thursday partner, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution editor himself, the man, Kevin Riley. Hi, Kevin. Thanks for being with me on another Thursday. Hey, good morning, Bill. It's good to be here. And is it only Thursday? Because this week seems to have been going on for a long time. (laughs) It's been a long, long week. Uh, We're very happy to be joined today by the Commissioner of the Department of Labor, Mark Butler. Uh, Mark Butler has an interesting history in that job. He was the first Republican elected Commissioner of Labor. That happened all the way back in 2011. So he's been in that position for quite some time now. Um, And during his tenure there, I think... Commissioner, I am correct in saying that one of the things you feel very strongly about, and that probably will come in play in the months ahead, is uh, that you've worked very hard to create partnerships that help businesses find and recruit and hire more people more efficiently. I think that's been a real goal of yours, hasn't it? Well, yeah, you got to remember when I was first elected, we were coming out of the recession. And so, uh, you know, the big the big issue then was we got to find ways to put people back to work. Uh, and, though, and so the quickest way to be able to do that is you've got to establish those relationships with the people who are hiring. And uh, we had to rebuild uh, all of those relationships. And we have a really good system now, a very good um, uh, relationship with the business community around the state uh, through our business services unit. And they're able to uh, work with them to help them recruit and find workers, uh, which, you know, uh, in the last uh, month and a half, we've seen a, in a, a, a very big uptick in that activity as employers are starting to open back up uh, and hire again. Well, and, and we want to get to that in a few minutes. In the meantime, uh, you have faced a crisis that I think is probably unprecedented for the Department of Labor. Uh, some two million people have now applied for unemployment insurance in the state of Georgia. It's interesting to compare April 2019 with April 2020. In April 2019, the insurance uh, filings, uh, the claims were 20,980 just last in April uh, this year, 1,353,921. And you're about to release figures for the past week as well, aren't you? Right. Uh, yeah, we'll be doing that uh, later on today. But, you know, however, remember, when we talk about claims, you're not necessarily talking about uh, individual claims. Uh, so it may not be two million actual people filing, but we've had two million claims filed. Uh, some of those are going to be duplicates, especially because of uh, the new PUA, unemployment for self-employed. Uh, one of the things that we have to do in that system is we have to first uh, you know, certify that you are not eligible for any type of regular state unemployment benefits and then run another application for you for this new program. And so, you know, there's a lot of duplicates built in uh, to just that. Uh, Commissioner Butler, Kevin Riley here from the AJC. Uh, As you know, we've we've been, uh, I think you've been on the phone with our reporters almost daily as we've tried to stay apprised of of how it's going in the state and all that. And and so that kind of, you mentioned statistics. And so I wanted to give you a chance to to, uh, not dive too deep on that, 
but you know, help us, Bill and I, as well as the listeners, understand um, exactly how it works in terms of we hear about claims, we hear about the rate, we hear about all these things. But from your point of view, as a person who's had this job for a long time and has a good feel for what's going on in Georgia, how many people you know are out of work? What is it you would want us to understand about what's really going on? Well, I mean, that's kind of a complicated question due to the fact that, you know, you had a, a static number before all this happened, which was probably uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, 150 to 200,000 people that we were still trying to find work for uh, that maybe had been, some of those had been long-term unemployed. Uh, but during this crisis, you know, depending on any, any given point, uh, you're going to have a lot of people who may have been temporary unemployed that never filed for unemployment. So you're not going to be able to really capture them quite as easy. Uh, but right now, uh, if I had to put a solid number on the people who are actually getting unemployment right now that are unemployed, uh, that have been unemployed for you know a number of weeks, it, it's, it's a lot lower than that two million number. Uh, I think it's somewhere around the neighborhood of probably about uh, 1.3 million, uh, to be quite honest. Uh, to be looking at the, the the numbers and how we're seeing the payouts, uh, because just because some just because a claim is filed, first of all, you don't know uh, if that's going to be that just one person, one claim, or that's one person who's claimed five or six times. We actually do have people uh, that do multiple filings. Uh, some of that's through, they don't read the directions. Like if you had three jobs, three part-time jobs, we've had people go out and file three claims on each job, which you're actually just supposed to put all those in one. Um, and so, but just taking a look at the ones that we've been able to validate and pay out on, uh, I think that number of closer to 1.2, 1.3 is probably, probably more accurate. Commissioner, as you can imagine, when we started uh, mentioning yesterday that you were going to uh, be on the show today, there were a lot of people who were very glad to hear that. And they've been sending uh, me notes and uh, Facebook, social media posts of various kinds. And, and the theme throughout many of them, as I'm sure you can imagine, is an expression of frustration that they are trying to get their benefits. They have been, they feel caught up in the system. Uh, there are people who talk about uh, uh, the PUA having problems with that end of it. Um, are, are you finding that you're, look, you were never staffed up to handle this kind of crisis. Uh, do people have to be patient? And how long can people be patient if they're saying to me, I'm having a hard time putting food on the table? Well, I think it's it's a combination of things. First of all, you know, the PUA program has been uh, very difficult to begin with because it didn't exist before March 27th. Uh, and matter of fact, the way the system works, it goes contrary to what we normally do. Normally, uh, you know, we are we are built and it's in our DNA not to pay out unemployment to people who have not paid into the system, who have not been registered into the system before, that their employers have not been paying taxes on. This system is predicated on paying out uh, to those people that we normally don't pay out to. And there's a lot of rules and regulations that go into there uh, because it's not our program, it's a federal program we have to adhere to. Uh, it's very cumbersome. Uh, matter of fact, some people might say clunky. Uh, and also we had to build uh, a, a software application, a platform uh, from scratch uh, internally to be able uh, to do all the things that we're required to do to make that pay out. When I say all the things we have to do, I think there's been some expectations that have been put out um, uh, erroneously about how unemployment works. You don't just come to us and go, I'm unemployed, pay us. We have to verify a lot of things. We have to verify who you are. We have to also take a look at any type of intercepts that may be against you, uh, whether uh, owed taxes or things like that. 
so it's uh, it can be a very cumbersome process, and the PUA uh, program has actually made it twice as cumbersome. We're back with uh, Labor Commissioner Mark Butler, who has to be, Kevin Riley, one of the busiest people in state government uh, during the uh, uh, crisis, I think is a fair word, that we're experiencing because of COVID-19, high unemployment rates, uh, and the like. Uh, Kevin Riley, you wanted to jump in with a question for the commissioner. Yeah, I mean, uh, I have a couple things to ask the commissioner, but I, I also think it's probably fair to say he may be among the most bruised and beat up because there are a lot of frustrated people out there, and I think he's tried to address all of that pretty directly and, and explain to people how the system works uh, and why it works the way it does. Um, so I was going to just ask him about a couple things. You know, at the paper, we get emails and letters from people. Um, one of those things that, that I've actually talked to some business people about is this idea that under the federal program and, and the way this has all worked for so many people, it's better to not work and to can, 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 to just keep getting the enhanced unemployment. And there's a current debate about whether the program should be extended. Commissioner Brunner, what, what's your view on that? I mean, is that true? Is that what's going on? Or, or how do you manage that from your perch when you're looking at the whole state and its economic challenges? Well, there's no doubt we do get a lot of complaints uh, also from the business community, uh, especially the ones that have been trying to reopen uh, and saying they're having a hard time you know, getting people to come back. However, uh, one of the things that we did at the very beginning of this that um, probably got looked over a good bit was that uh, we asked, because when this all started, we all anticipated this being very temporary, maybe a few weeks, maybe you know, no more than a month. Um, obviously, it didn't work out that way. And so uh, we took a system we'd had in place for a long time, uh, which allows employers to file on behalf of their employees for a temporary amount of time. Uh, and so that way, they are actually doing all the work for their employees. And about 85% of all claims were, were done that way. And so uh, that really helped us be able to go through claims pretty quickly. But in those cases, those employers, they could bring somebody back, uh, you know, uh, and say, look, we're going to quit filing for unemployment. We're going back to work. We're back to full steam. Uh, and also, if they weren't back to full steam, there's a way they could keep filing. Uh, that system has helped us here in Georgia, uh, but there's no doubt uh, you take some of the individuals who may have got on the PUA or some of those other things. Uh, you know, you're talking, depending on how much they got, let's use the average. You know, you're talking about 200 something dollars a week on regular benefit plus the 600. Um, you know, you're making 750 a week uh, to not work. Uh, you know, that can be a deterrent right there. Uh, how about how about the uh, gig worker question? I mean, that was a huge debate in Congress, and um, uh, about the idea that you know so much of the economy is is that kind of worker now, and and uh, I think the Democrats in the House were just insistent that this whole uh, relief program um, cover those workers. Uh, how does that work? Because we that's that's a group of people we've heard a lot from that that they're not they're having trouble getting benefits, and that they that they're not. Uh, they don't feel like the system's working for them. Explain that and explain uh, why they might be having trouble if they are, or if that's just individual cases. Well, some of those can be individual cases, depending on what's going on with them, because we also have some people that are that have a part-time gig job and then a W-2 job, and they think that, well, I lost my, my, my 1099 job, but I'm still working at my W-2, so I want to get unemployment for my 1099. Well, you can't do that uh, because you're still making money on the other one. Uh, but the personally, my personal opinion on the, the self-employed, they absolutely should have been made whole some way because the government said, 
you can't work and you can't make a living. It's just like eminent domain. If they take your property, they should give you some money for it. The same thing with your livelihood. The government forced you not to work. So there should be a replacement. I do not think the unemployment system was probably the best way to go about that because of how we're set up. It comes down to a lack of understanding in Congress of how unemployment works. Uh, and I think there's going to be a debate going forward how this should work in the future. Uh, because you've got all these businesses that have been paying into the system, paying unemployment taxes, which is a separate thing. It's not has any does it have anything to do with your income tax. Um, and they've been paying in the system to cover their employees, and these have not. Uh, and so, in the future, are we going to continue to do that kind of thing? Because at some point, your your business is going to say, "Well, why are we paying in and paying these taxes?" Um, let me be crystal. Let me be crystal clear. Following that up, I mean, so I'm a business. I own a standard business in Atlanta. You know, where maybe what I'm doing is, uh, you know, I've got employees. I've been in business for a number of years. I play. I pay into the unemployment system. That's just part of my business expense. That unemployment insurance. Meanwhile, new businesses have popped up that are like gig worker businesses. Um, and you can, you know, why don't you pick an example of a gig worker business? They do not pay into that system. Meanwhile, in this, in, in what Congress did, um, the, their employees are getting the unemployment benefits, and and they really haven't supported the system. I think that's your point, but I want to make sure I completely understand, and listeners do too. Well, yeah, and 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 luckily Congress is picking up the tab for that part of it too, and not coming out of our trust fund, which is what employers around the state of Georgia have been paying into, uh, but. In that same vein, the reason why that system is a little bit tougher to deal with is uh, one of the things they want us to do is that we have to certify and we have to prove that those individuals cannot get regular unemployment. So we have to run them through the paces to see if they would qualify for regular unemployment. And then when we find that they cannot because there's no reported wages on them, then we have to go through, they have to attest to their wages, send in proof of their wages. All that's very complicated and very hard to do. See, somebody on regular unemployment, we already know about your wages because your employer has been filing every quarter, uh, paying taxes on you, reporting who you are. Uh, the, the PUA, the one you're talking about, the self-employed, we have no information uh, on these individuals. People think that we have your W-2, no, I mean, not your W-2, but your 1099s. No, we're not the IRS. Uh, unless you've been a part of our system, paying into our system, uh, sending in your wages, we have no information on you. Quite frankly, the IRS probably would have been a better system to pay out to self-employees because they already have all that information. They know if you're a 1099 worker. They know about your taxes. They know what you've been paying in. Uh, Commissioner, uh, can we hold you for one more segment? Uh, there are a couple of questions that I'd like to be able to get to, and one of them is uh, I follow up, and you're saying that you're seeing uh, employers starting to call people back to work, and I'd love to get your projection on how you think that might progress in the weeks and months ahead. Can you stick with this for one more segment? Uh, sure. Okay, thanks a lot. Uh, we're talking to uh, Labor Commissioner Mark Butler. We're holding him hostage for one more segment. Uh, we'll be back in a moment. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. Kevin Riley and uh, Labor Commissioner Mark Butler with me for Political Rewind today. Commissioner Butler, I know you've got work to do, and I want to get you out of here. I want it, but I have one more final question. 
and a thanks for being patient to uh, stick with us a little bit longer than uh, we'd initially asked you. I think this is really crucial. What are you projecting as you look ahead with almost 12% unemployment in the state right now? Are you starting to be able to project when we're going to see that number plateau, start to come down? What are you hearing from businesses out there about bringing people back in? And then conversely, do you have any sense of how many jobs may be permanently lost, even just a speculative sense of that? Well, I mean, uh, I've been on the phone a good bit yesterday talking to uh, different association presidents around the state, kind of getting a feel of what's going on. And, uh, and you know, in some cases, we're seeing uh, the recovery in certain sectors happen faster than we thought. Um, I talked to uh, one person in one part of the state, which typically has a lot of tourism, uh, and they told me that uh, through a survey of their uh, hotel groups uh, that this weekend they're booked, uh, which they were not expecting. Uh, I think uh, as the restrictions start relaxing, people are going to start going back to work. Uh, I think the recovery will happen faster than you think if the state opens back up, if it's safe to do so. Uh, I think there's a lot of factors out there you've got to take into consideration because you really, you know, something like this, nobody's ever been through it. So you can't say, well, you should lean on the experience of others that have been through that you can't because like in our case, the Department of Labor, uh, nobody can say, well, you should have known or you should have. There's no way you can know what's going to happen when you went from 20,000 claims a month to a million uh, and, and how that affects and how you handle those kind of things. But I think the team has done a pretty good job on it. But uh, there's no doubt there will be some permanent job loss. There's going to be a, what this is what I call a, a lot of churn is going to happen in the economy. Um, because even though you're going to see some permanent job loss in some sectors, right now, if you go to EmployGeorgia.com, which is the state's online job uh, board uh, for jobs that are available here in Georgia, it's probably going to show you about 100,000 job openings. And so uh, even if you lose uh, a fair amount of jobs, you still have a lot of jobs we still need to be filling. I think you're going to see uh, the possibility of some changes in how uh, we look at some training programs. Uh, I think there's going to be some innovation in those areas. That's really kind of what we're talking to Congress about. If you're talking about extending these benefits, uh, you might want to start looking at a certain uh, part of the population that doesn't have a job to go back to. They are not temporarily unemployed. Uh, allow them possibly to stay on some of these benefits if they are enrolled in a training program uh, to get them retrained because maybe their old job is not going to be there. And so, and they don't have the skill set for the job that is going to be there. Uh, take this time and this opportunity. Uh, to leverage some of this uh, to get some retraining uh, for some of these newer jobs that are coming out there that, quite frankly, are going to be better jobs. Kevin, one last question, and we've got to let the commissioner go. Uh, Commissioner Butler, I mean, we talked a little bit about people who are frustrated or having trouble getting their unemployment benefits. Certainly, we've written about that. We hear from them a lot. For people out there who, who are in that situation, I mean, what would you say to them um, as they're struggling at this time and they're frustrated by the system, what's, what's your best advice to them? Well, first of all, make sure you're using all the online tools and information uh, that's on our website and also through our social media sites. Uh, a lot of times what we're seeing, of course, it's improved with the help of the press. Uh, thank you to the AJC and others and, and all the news channels. They're getting out some of the information that we need to get out. Like we had a huge problem about three weeks ago with people that had fully qualified for unemployment benefits but yet they had not 
uh, requested their weekly payments. Uh, I think we had a neighborhood at one time of almost 50,000 people that could have been getting unemployment. They were calling us looking for their money, but the reason why they hadn't got their money is because they hadn't requested it. Uh, and trying to get that word out to them. So between you know some stories going out and also us pushing out emails, uh, we finally got that down to a manageable number, but we're still somewhere around the neighborhood of about 15, 20,000 people in that particular case. Uh, and also be very careful about taking advice uh, from some of these uh, Facebook groups that are popping up about unemployment. We've seen a lot of people uh, been given bad advice that have uh, really messed up their claims. Like one thing that we heard the other day is, well, I couldn't get my pen to work online. And I read somewhere on, on a Facebook group that if I started a new claim but didn't finish it, that that would uh, unfreeze my pen. That is absolutely horrible advice right there. That will absolutely freeze your claim. Because remember, at the same time that we're trying to get people paid, we're also making sure that we're not paying people that we shouldn't be paying or fraudulent claims. Uh, and so you have multiple claims using the same Social Security number. Uh, that tends to cause uh, people's claims to get frozen up. Commissioner Butler, thank you so much for taking time to uh, talk with us today. I know there are many, many people listening to this show who uh, are concerned about themselves personally if they've lost their jobs, uh, but more important, uh, are also want to make sure that uh, uh, the people who uh, have lost work are getting taken care of as best they can be. We're going to post those uh, links that you talked about on our social media so people can uh, find out where they can go in your department for the help they need. But in the meantime, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today, Commissioner Butler. Oh, thanks for having me on as always. Um, all right, Kevin Riley, we say goodbye to uh, Mark Butler, and uh, we've only got about two minutes before we have to get to a break, but let's just begin a conversation very briefly. You uh, posted a front-page editorial, you meaning the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, had a front-page editorial about primary election uh, problems over uh, uh, Tuesday, and it's very to start the conversation. When was the last time the AJC had an uh, editorial on the front page? Well, you know, we we actually hadn't done it for many years, uh, and then we 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 have done it twice this year. Uh, the first, you'll recall, Bill, because we talked about this on the show. Um, when the legislature opened its session, we called for reform in the senior care industry, which was a big investigation we had done last year. And uh, we did it because we thought it was such an important issue. And then we did it again today because, wow, elections, is there a more important issue uh, in our state right now? Yeah. Kevin Riley, uh, front page editorial this morning's Atlanta Journal-Constitution. The lead says, Georgia blew it big time. An election meltdown that had been simmering here for a long time finally boiled over Tuesday for all the world to see. The election process, what should be a near-sacred ritual of this republic, quickly devolved into what national and local commentators called with ample justification a hot mess. Georgia must do much better when the next election comes. A powerful statement from the state's uh, biggest uh, news organization, biggest uh, print news organization, Kevin. Absolutely. But, Bill, I mean, let's think about this, right? I mean, the elections are so fundamental to basic American democracy. 
Georgia has been embroiled in uh, election controversy for a while, especially, you know, that 2018 uh, governor's race. And as the nation watched, um, we had trouble again. And and at some point, someone has to say, look, we've got to be able to do this right. And when we think about what November is likely to be like, it, it, it is it's just crucial that that the election comes off in a way that people can have faith in it, get a chance to vote and trust it. Your uh, editorial makes a point that we talked about on the show yesterday. In fact, we talked about it with Speaker David Ralston, uh, one of our guests, Um And that's what we saw in the aftermath of Tuesday between county election offices, particularly in Fulton County and DeKalb County. We saw local officials uh, uh, blaming the secretary of state's office for not doing a better job uh, getting uh, election training in place, getting the machinery out, all that sort of thing. We saw them pointing the finger at the secretary of state. We saw the secretary of state's office saying, no, we're blameless. It was those counties. And as your editorial points out, we're not going to get anywhere if they're not all willing to work together to solve a problem that conf- that, that affects all of us, Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians, Independents. This isn't partisan at this point. This is giving everyone a chance to vote. Absolutely. And uh, that is a big mistake to turn it in, uh, attempt to turn it into a partisan position. And and I do think it's important to remember these circumstances are, uh, you know, never before have we had these circumstances, the combination of things, including the pandemic. And then we have these new voting machines and we have some other things going on. So what we have to hope is people will say, all right, look, November will probably be just as complicated. So how do we find a way to overcome that? The um, interesting thing about this, we have some breaking news on this, Kevin. Uh, in fact, it came out of the jolt at uh, AJC.com. Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger has now said he wants the legislature to give him the power to intervene when county election offices aren't performing up to snuff and to require counties to pay for that help. Now, that's going to be an incredibly controversial move if you're the DeKalb County election or the Fulton County election uh, team. You really want to be careful about how you interact with the state. Um, but uh, it's going to be interesting to see whether the legislature wants to take him up on that in when they come back for this short session next week. Yeah, I, I mean, if you imagine how long it takes the legislature to get even the most basic and challenging things done, and we know they're completely preoccupied by the budget, um, I, you know, I'm not sure that, that that'll happen. Even even small counties are likely to resist it, I suppose. But more importantly, uh, we have to ask if really that's the best way and the best thing to put energy into at this point when you got to believe it's unlikely to happen. All right. Well, we're going to watch how all this comes together. We'll certainly be talking about it on Political Rewind. And you, Kevin, at the AJC, will be continuing to cover it, as will our reporters at GPB News. Um, Kevin, John Ossoff, let's talk briefly about the fact that we now have a Democratic nominee for the Senate running against David Perdue. It looked uh, late into yesterday as if he could be in a runoff. He manages to break free. What does it mean for the state Democratic Party in attempting to take over that Purdue seat 
that uh, they're not going to face a uh, runoff. It's good news for Democrats, isn't it? I suppose, uh, especially if they believe Ossoff can raise money in proportion to that uh, uh, congressional race, uh, 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 you know, when he ran against uh, Karen Handel, because, uh, you know, again, it's going to be another situation where there's this sort of proxy fight for people who support Trump and people who don't. I mean, I think it's that simple. No one has been a firmer supporter and more uh, consistent supporter of President Trump than uh, Senator Perdue. And, you know, so looking forward to it, I think it's going to be a, a lively race. I think that it will uh, test and probably push the limits of fundraising in Georgia without question. Uh, another race that we talked about uh, yesterday, both our 9 a.m. and then our 2 p.m. live show yesterday, was the 13th District Congressional race, where David Scott, the Democrat, has held that seat for nine terms. He was running for his 10th. And as of yesterday, it looked as if David Scott might, in fact, be forced into a runoff against Keisha Waits, a former legislator who raised almost no money and did a real grassroots campaign. Um, It appears now there are 100 percent of precincts reporting. I don't know about outstanding absentee ballots in that race because that's the wild card in all of this. But it, it may be now that David Scott has broken the 50% threshold and maybe going back without a runoff. That means virtually most of the incumbents are been won these elections uh, uh, on Tuesday, uh, Kevin. Yeah, I mean, I think there was a little bit of a scare for some incumbents, and I suppose we'll have to see what happens in November. But, you know, incumbency remains a huge advantage, uh, just especially in confusing times when people may look at a ballot and not have to have had time. Kevin Riley, we're out of time. We've got to send it back to our pledge team because we're in a fundraising drive. And, uh, Kevin, I always appreciate having you with me on Thursdays and look forward to the next time we get to talk on GPB Radio. That's it for us. See you all tomorrow.